Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 10, produced 23 August 2015. If you have a sweet tooth, this is for you. Warning, step away from the podcast. Do it now. Step away from the podcast. (laughs) Well, okay, I'm joking, of course. But on this episode of Under the Tartan Sky, we're talking sweets for the sweet, sugar and spice and everything nice, as we profile one of myriad small, work-from-the-home entrepreneurial businesses that are dotted across Scotland. If you've come to the podcast looking for a wee sweetie, you've come to the right place. Here in Scotland, 2015 is the year of food and drink, a celebration of the country's outstanding natural larder and produce. From artisan cheeses and world-renowned whiskies to succulent seasonal berries and arbroath smokies, there's an abundance of delicious regional flavours round every corner. Discover the landscapes, people and culture that make our food heritage so unique and enjoy a feast of events and festivals throughout the year. Come and experience a true taste of Scotland. There's a well-known cliché that says, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Or in the case of Wee Sweetie Confectionery Creations of Dumfries, Scotland, lemon meringue fudge, or red cola and lemonade sherbet, or, well, you get the idea. Wee Sweetie Confectionery Creations is one of myriad entrepreneurial businesses dotted across Scotland that we're striving to recognize in this Scotland's year of food and drink. Working as a dental nurse at 16, Donna Bradley moved on to work on a real murderer's row as a forensic psychiatric nurse working with violent offenders, murderers and rapists with severe personality disorders. Four years ago, her health forced her to leave that career, return to live with her mom in Dumfries, and ask herself what to do with the rest of her life. The answer? We Sweetie Confectionery Creations, a unique and, until recently, one-woman company offering bespoke sweeties for weddings, corporate events, virtually any special social occasion, or for those with a sweet tooth craving for out-of-the-ordinary sweeties, like Kirsch Royales, Elderflower Apple Rock, or Banana Marshmallow Rock Lollipops. Recently, Donna interrupted her work in the kitchen long enough to share with us that the business was born of necessity and of a childhood sweet tooth. I've always had a very sweet tooth. My first ever job, I was two weeks past my 12th birthday, and I got a job in the sweet shop at the bottom of my road. Um, when I was really, really young, my granddad used to work in the carnation factory that was in Dumfries and they made round trees, fruit pastels and Cadbury's chocolates and things like that. And the name, the business name Wee Sweetie actually came from my granddad because when we were really young, 
and mum would take us over to visit, it would be, well, you're not here to visit us, you're just here for your wee sweeties, because he always had a load of misshapes and rejected products and stuff like that in his house. So that was where the name of the business came from. I've always had a very sweet tooth. And as I said, I had to give up my career in nursing, but that was because I've got Crohn's disease. And sweets are really, sweets and sugar-based products are really the only thing that I can eat without being in a lot of pain. So most days I'll survive on sweets. The first sweetie I made was tablet. My mum taught me to make tablet when I was, I think I was about 12. And really up until about four or five years ago, that was the only thing I'd ever made as far as sweets were concerned. I was complaining about the lack of choice as far as variety was concerned and that the stuff was full of e-numbers and all that kind of stuff. And my sister bought me a, a sweetie recipe book for my Christmas three years ago. It was um, all different kinds of sweets. And she said, here, make some. And I started making them for fun, for me, so that I had a diet to live on. Um, and it kind of went from there doing, you know, a friend said, oh, will you make some for my wedding or will you make some for a birthday party and that kind of thing. And then everybody started telling me you should sell them at a work. So I thought I would give it a go. And it went kind of product research and um, getting people, getting really broad samples and stuff like that. And I decided to bite the bullet 18 months ago and properly set up and start trading. So We Sweeties then is, at this point, still a very young business. Very, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just... I'm still making it up as I go along. <laughs> well, sometimes that's the, the best way. So you are primarily a mail-order custom suites. As you said, you do suites for corporate affairs, for weddings, birthday parties, uh, company social events, that sort of thing. But you also offer a monthly menu selection of things that you stock. Tell me a little bit about those two parts of the business, the custom side and then the, the, the monthly menu side. The monthly menu is very new. I actually only started in August because I was getting so many requests from so many different people for one or two bags of so many different sweets. There just wasn't enough hours in the day for me to make everybody's orders. I cannot offer, if you want, I will make anything for you at all, as long as you want more than three bags of it or each month I'll put out a menu that probably has maybe 10 sweets on it. At the beginning of the month, I'll make sure I have stocks of those. And when they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have to order early, I've learned. Yes, um, I do occasional, maybe once every two months, I'll do a, a local market. And I have a couple of small stockists. But again, those are, those are regional. Um, I kind of haven't spread my wings really any further than the um, Dumfries and Galloway except for mail order, which I've posted to pretty much everywhere, I think, now. Well, and that's one of the things I found unique about your business when I first discovered you, because I've met other friends uh, in Scotland who run a similar business, um, but they don't post to the United States, where I live, for example. They're only available, their product is only available in Scotland. How is it that you came to decide and find yourself indeed shipping around the world? People were getting in touch. I do a lot of my business on Twitter. I'd never used any kind of social media, despite the fact I'm in my early 30s. I'd never used social media before. 
wasn't a fan of it, but kind of thought, how else do I get the word out about a new business? And Twitter is global. I have followers all over the world. It was customer demand. Um, it was kind of towards Christmas time last year, people were getting in touch and saying, oh, I've got relatives that live in wherever, but you know, they, they, they are Scottish and they've, they've moved to whatever country could you send to there? So it was a case of, well, let me look into it and see. And I had to go and look at, well, you know, each country, it's, well, each zone of the world, it's a different postage fee. And I feel really guilty saying to somebody, well, it's over £20 to post them to America. But people want to pay that. People are happy to pay that for it to be posted. So, you know, and when I, my postage costs, I charge postage costs what post office charges me. So if people want them sent anywhere, I'll send them anywhere. Really, I don't, I don't understand why people would, obviously there are, like, I can't send um, fudge to Australia, for example, because there's milk products in it. Um. But as long as there are no restrictions on the country that it's going to, I'm happy to send them to wherever. And where are some of the, the countries that you have sent your product to? I think pretty much everywhere in Europe's ticked off. We've been to Canada, we've been to America, and I think one went to the Caribbean, actually. Wow. One went to the Dominican Republic. I've no idea um, if it if it was melted by the time it got there, but there was one at Christmas <laughs> went to the Dominican Republic, yeah. Let's get to the, the product list itself. What types, when we talk about sweeties, what types of candies and, and sweet products are you making? Four main ones. Fudge, toffee, nut brittles and pralines, and boiled sweets. Um, Americans, I think you would call them hard candy. Yeah, we would call that hard candy. Pulled sugar. I'm actually the only person in Scotland that makes those by hand. And everything that I make is 100% natural and 100% handmade. There's no machinery used at all. And as of next month, we are going to be doing artisan candy floss at events. Something new, like I say, I keep making it up as I go. <laughs> but that will be something offered in Scotland at some of the local markets that you go out to and, and actually sell direct to the public there. Yeah, that'll be at events only. Yeah. You mentioned that it's it's all natural, but the other thing that impressed me, your company is very green. By that, I mean, of course, environmentally friendly from top to bottom, from not just what goes into the products, but also into your packaging. I think your wrappers on your on your individual candies are biodegradable and compostable. I presume that's important to you. And so why is it important? It's the same as, you know, all my products all contain 100% fair trade sugar. I don't think you should be able to buy sugar that's not fair trade. I think why not be fair if you can? And that's to people, that's to the environment, that's to everything and with everything you know you don't have to have you don't have why cause damage and waste and suffering if you don't have to and that's just you know that's not particularly specific to the business that's just how I think I would never dream of buying in thousands of bags or wrappers that I knew were going to end up sitting rotten in a thousand years time I just, it's just not something that I would do. And when you talk about fair trade, that's a term that probably some of my audience won't be, will not be 
used to because it's not a term that's widely used here in the States. What are you talking about when you when you mention fair trade sugar? Fair trade is a worldwide scheme that runs and it can't, basically what it means is that the farmers and the producers of the product are given a premium on top of the cost and they use that money as then invested um, like the fact that sugar farmers will will all kind of group together and they'll get a premium from fair trade and that premium will be used to build a school or to build a hospital for the community and it, it's done across cotton and bananas and chocolate and coffee and tea are kind of the main products but there's more and more products appearing all the time now that are fair trade and it just means that you know, there is, even to this day, as far as sugar's concerned, there's still, although it's not openly spoken about, there's still slave labour, there's child labour involved and things like that. By buying fair trade, you're not really paying any more for the product, but you're making sure that nobody is being abused and that you're improving the lives of the people who have made that product at the same time. So it's a means of giving back to the community and then from the green side, a means of being kind to the environment. Yes. Yes. And like I said, it doesn't cost. I think as far as a kilo of sugar is concerned, if you were buying it in the supermarket as opposed to me buying it in bulk, a kilo of sugar, I think the difference is somewhere around 10 pence a kilo. A jar of coffee is around the same kind of price. So it's not actually costing you as a consumer anymore, but you know that you're helping people by buying that product because it's got that label on it. Okay. And I just wouldn't buy the products without it. In the premiere episode, when I spoke with Fiona Richmond from Scotland Food and Drink, we talked about the practice that they, quite frankly, are are promoting in Scotland, and that is the use of locally sourced ingredients or foods whenever possible. And I saw that when I dined at uh, Three Chimneys uh, during my first visit to Scotland, there was a on the menu they make a point of telling you where a lot of the local ingredients were sourced from. You do the same. I see on your website there's a list of local producers that you work with, and you're very promoting of the idea of using local ingredients where you can. So again, the question is why is that important to you? Why make that a part of your business when you don't have to? When I don't have to. Well, meaning you could you could source those ingredients from anywhere. I would think. Well, yeah, I could, but the example I'm going to give you is um, there is, despite it being a very rural corner of Scotland, we have somebody locally that makes peanut butter. Her peanut butter has four ingredients in it. All of the, well, the peanuts obviously aren't Scottish, but the other three ingredients are all Scottish, including the salt that goes into them. Her peanut butter, to me, tastes better than every commercially available peanut butter and it's made locally. It's not just, I, I, generally speaking, even if it was a blind taste test, and I do find that the stuff that's made locally, again, it sticks to my, it sticks to the 100% natural rule, rule. It's generally fresher. There are no food milders involved in getting it there. And generally, it's a better product. There are occasions where I will use an ingredient that is not as local either because I can't get it regionally or because there's something better out there, but it's rare. It's the same with my chocolate. I source source all my chocolate within 20 miles 
it's better than what I can buy in the supermarket or than what I can buy at the wholesalers. And I want my sweeties to be the best that they can be, so I use the best ingredients. And in those cases, you're buying, it sounds like you're buying directly from the producer and not, as you say, going to a supermarket to buy a, a baker's chocolate. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, like for my chocolate, it's 20 miles away to get to the the shop that makes the chocolate. So I'll buy that at my local farm, my local farm shop where they supply it, which is five minutes away. But the, the local farm shop has... A range or I can go there and get my chocolate and my peanut butter and my honey and my apple syrups and all that kind of stuff all five minutes down the road and everything is made within 50 miles. So sometimes sometimes I do go direct to the producer, sometimes no, I'll go to the farm shop. It, it depends what it is and how close and how convenient it is for me to get it. But I just generally find that local is... It tastes better, but most importantly, there's nothing artificial in it, and that's my, that's my really big thing. And that's, I'm sorry, that's what I meant. I didn't mean necessarily that you go directly to the producer, but you're buying product that comes directly from the producer, not going to a supermarket and buying some national brand or even an international brand of chocolate that was shipped in from Switzerland or wherever it may be, using just chocolate as an example, but... But you're buying from local producers, whether you're going directly to their place of business or buying it through a shop that that obviously is a stockist for them, is what I was saying. Yeah. Um, I just, I find it is, it's all, always a better product. It's very rare that it's not a better product, to be honest. And like I say, in the very rare occasions that it is, then I will use products that aren't local, but they've got to be 100% natural. They've got to be fair trade or they've got to be free range or they've got to be um like my bacon's got to be out outdoor reared bacon that goes into my bacon praline and stuff like that because well that's local anyway but um the, there's so many kind of tests that I put a product through it doesn't just have to taste good I don't like it I won't use anything with palm oil in it for example so instead of Nutella and my fudge, I will make Nutella myself. <laughs> That's how far I go. <laughs> That's you, how far you, I go. <laughs> I, make, I make my own Nutella because Nutella has palm oil in it. Palm oil is a controversial ingredient. I've had businesses come to me and say, will you use, not, not local businesses, but I have had businesses come to me and say, will you use or promote my product? And I've looked at the product and I've said no, because there's an ingredient in there that I don't like. And it's not it, it's like gum arabic, for example. There's a lot of controversy about things like that as well. So, you know, I've turned products down based on that. But I suppose I am maybe <laughs> maybe a bit on the pretentious side, but I just it, it's just a belief system that I have that everything should be as fair as possible and as natural as possible. There's no reason why it's not why it shouldn't be. One of the other things that uh, you promote on your website which I think sets you apart from your just any old sweet shop. And I'm quoting here, your website says that you are known for pushing flavor boundaries with innovative and exciting combinations. Now, I've had a little bit of an exper of experience with some of your product, your sweeties. Rhubarb and custard comes to my mind when we talk about innovative combinations. But what are some of the unique flavor combinations that you've come up with? And 
where do you get the idea to make those combinations? Well, first of all, rhubarb and custard, possibly across the pond, is a very kind of new, but it's certainly in Scotland, it's big. it was one of the first boiled sweet kind of flavours. I make rhubarb and custard not because it's new. That kind of flavour combination goes back over 100 years and it's very much a nostalgic sweet for people. It's very popular with um, I actually had a message, somebody um, buys it for their dad who has dementia and the flavours remind them of being young and kind of give them lucid moments and that just about had me in tears. I was really touched oh, by wow. that. But, um, you know, that that's more, I kind of have two ends of the spectrum. I do the traditional that everybody knows and it's popular, which, for example, is rhubarb and custard. And then at the other end, I will just throw flavours together and see if they turn out. Sometimes it's kind of hit and miss. Sometimes they work and they work really well. I do, apple mint was one of them recently that had people really confused. They didn't believe it would work, but everybody that tried it loved it. There is actually a form of the mint plant that grows that is apple mint. So the two flavours do go together. And mint is used on a lot of desserts for decoration and flavour and stuff like that. Um, Another one would be singer seed, which I couldn't think of a name for it. And I I think it had about four different names and nobody bought it because everybody thought it was chilies. It's cinnamon, ginger and aniseed. So... We ended up splitting the name, splitting up the three different flavours and sticking them together in the title of that one, Singer Seed. Um, There's strawberry and black pepper boiled sweets as well. Strawberry and black pepper? It was a kind of trend a few years ago to serve black pepper on strawberries. Really? I've never heard of that. Okay. Pepper pineapple as well. Pink pepper, pink peppers, peppercorns with pineapple works as well. Um, and I do a range of kind of cocktail flavours, so like strawberry daiquiri and pina colada and mojito and um, those kind of grown-up adult cocktail flavours as well. Um, some of them, you know, obviously a cocktail is a cocktail. Jelly Belly, I've been making pina colada jelly beans for hundreds of years, but nobody had actually turned it into a boiled sweet, so I did. Um some of them come from inspiration from like the peppered strawberry or it's something that people are eating just now. Other times, like the apple mint, it's just thrown together in the pot and we'll see if it works. I always have played. I'm never short of um, guinea pigs willing to sample and try. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I've even offered to be a guinea pig and, and I'm across the pond from you. So <laughs> I'm sure getting someone to sample something is not difficult. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. But um, August's um, limited edition fudge was um, strawberry shortcake, which I've never used biscuits in my shortbread before, because you uh, in my fudge before. And but I, I've used meringues and I've used gingerbread and I've tried a few other kind of cakes and stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try crumbling up some biscuits and we'll try that. You know, Rocky Road works. But um, strawberry shortcake is a kind of popular dessert. You get a shortbread biscuit with some double cream, um, whipped cream and strawberries, and then you'll get another biscuit and it'll be made up as a tower on a plate. And I kind of thought, let's put that in a fudge and see if it works. 
So I even made the preserved strawberries that were into that as well. And, and I can I can tell you it does work. <laughs> I uh, yes, I in fact I enjoyed a bit of strawberry shortcake fudge just before we started this interview. Well, I'm glad you like it. Um, I was I was quite impressed with the butteriness of the the shortbread through it. I liked that, but. Like I said, I made the strawberry preserve that went in the preserved strawberries that were in it, and the shortbread was made 15 miles away from the house. Um, one of the the local bakers makes my shortbread for me. So, yeah, it was another one that that worked. The the thing is, people now expect that every month I'm going to come up with something else wacky and wild. You know, it it does <laughs> it does create a kind of pressure to to keep keep bettering. You know, I've already I've already people inquiring for Christmas. So what's your Christmas menu going to be? And you're like, it's August. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I, I've already suggested strawberries and white chocolate. I don't know anything about strawberries and black pepper, but I can tell you strawberries and white chocolate works. So, you know, just a little bit of friendly advice there. It's on the possible to try list. <laughs> okay. Is. What is the one combination or is there a combination that you thought, wow, this will be neat. Uh, it's wild and wacky, and you tried it and just went, oh, boy, that was a mistake. Just did not work. There was one earlier on this year, actually. I, I've just mentioned using, um, putting meringue and strawberry in fudge and um, biscuits and stuff. There is a traditional Scottish pudding called Clutie Dumpling. Yes. And 2015 being the year of food and drink, um, Scottish Scotland Food and Drink have got a different theme for every month of the year, and I think it. I can't actually remember off the top of my head if it was January or February that it was like traditional kind of things, and I got in touch with a local baker and I asked them to make clouty dumpling for me, which clouty dumpling is a heavy steamed, rich, fruity, spicy pudding. It's cooked in a, a muslin cloth, and the old Scottish name for the cloth was a clout, which was why it was called clouty dumpling, but it's a really heavy pudding. And at Christmas time, I'd made gingerbread fudge with gingerbread through it, and I really wanted for February to do clouty dumpling fudge, and I just could not get it to work. I think if I'd used the fruits and the spices, I would have been able to replicate, I could have replicated the flavour like I did um, with my mince pie fudge at Christmas, which was um, fruits and brandy and spices. But I didn't want the flavour. I actually wanted the clouty dumpling. But it's a, it's such a rich dumpling and it's a suet, so it's a beef fat. And it just didn't work. And I actually went back to the baker and I said, look, I don't know if it's your dumpling or if it's what I'm doing to it, but I can't get this to work. And she made <laughs> me three different recipes of dumpling. And then we kind of had to give up and say no. Oh, it my goodness. It just, beef fat will not go into fudge. Yeah, somehow that just doesn't sound very appealing. Aunt. It just, the, the end result. And I, I, I was, I'm quite kind of stubborn like that. And I thought, no, I will get it to work. I will. But no, I couldn't. And this woman, I think, I think in total, these dumplings take about four hours to steam. So I think she'd spent about two days steaming dumplings for me and they all went in the bin. I felt really guilty. But it just I just couldn't make it work. Well, I was gonna say, on the other hand, another traditional Scottish item is the hot cross bun. And I will say that your hot cross bun fudge also worked and worked very well. But the hot cross bun fudge was it's the the flavours that go into a hot cross bun. 
but there's not actually any bun. Right, in right. It. Whereas because because at Christmas time I'd done the the, the flavours of um, mince pies and I'd done the flavours of the hot cross bun, I wanted to actually use the dumpling as opposed to just emulating the flavours of it. And that, that, was, that was where the downfall was. Had I just said, okay, I'll just use the fruits and the spices that would go into a dumpling and put that through the fudge, it would have worked. But I'm stubborn and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> we talked earlier about the fact that you do custom uh, sweeties for everything from private birthday parties to weddings to social events to corporate gigs, etc. How do you deal with a customer who comes to you with a wild and wacky idea, as you said earlier, and this is just off the top of my head, but let's say I were to come to you and say, oh, I want these sweeties, and and my two favorite things in the world are pears and pistachios. Now, I don't know if that would work or not, but for the moment, for the sake of argument, let's pretend that you know pear and pistachio would not work together. But I come to you and say, you know, I've got a wedding with 300 people, and I want pear and pistachio sweeties for everybody in, at the wedding. How do you deal deal with a customer then and, and when you have to move them perhaps to something different? Or would you be stubborn and say, okay, I'll make it work? <laughs> it, would it would really depend on what the combination was and what the customer was looking for because what you've just said to me, if I was in that position and the customer was looking for two sweets, I would say, right, well, we'll do a pistachio toffee or fudge or maybe a, a really thin, crispy pistachio brittle, and we'll do a caramelized pear fudge, or we'll do a pear drop boiled sweet. Okay, and give I'm... them the option of having their two favorite things, but separately, because no, you're right, combined, I really don't think they would work. Yeah, and, and that's where I was going, was at, as, if they came to you with it as a combination, since you do so many different combinations. But steering them to two separate sweeties might might be the solution. It has been, but there was somebody that wanted, um, what was it she wanted? Oh, what was it? Oh, it's totally gone. She, want, she wanted a, a specific fudge for her wedding, and I said, it won't work. And she said, but that's what I really want. So because of the way that I work, I could make a tiny batch of it, and I'm uh -huh. talking... A, a batch that's small enough that fits in a loaf tin. That's usually how I, I can uh, I, I can make from that size from a three hundred gram batch, which is enough for two bags, up to um, a kilo and a half is the, the most uh, product that I work with. So I can make tiny tiny batches, and I did make it up for her, and I said, right here, here is a sample of what you have asked me for. And she tasted it and she said, no, you're right, it doesn't work. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, sometimes it is a case of you've got to prove to the person that no, it won't work. Sometimes, sometimes people aren't willing to take your word for it. Sometimes there are people, sometimes there have been suggestions where I've thought, hmm, will it work? I don't know. I'll have to try it and see. And just because I've tried it and I don't like it doesn't mean that the customer won't. So, you know, I, I will, yes, I will make time and trial batches to, to, to find out sometimes. But there are other times where I just have to put my foot down and say, no, it will not work. So the, it's true then that sometimes the customer is not always right. <laughs> no, but sometimes it's a case of, you know, 
they've kind of worked in the same way that I've worked. They've picked her two favourite flavours and thought, oh, well, she said that she'll make any flavour, so these are the two things that I like. I don't know if they'll work together. I've never tried them. To, you know, often the customers never actually put the two things together and tasted it themselves. Right. So, there again, some of them are probably flavours that at some point I've thrown in the pot myself to see if they work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought your answer was very creative to maybe look at, do it at, not as a combination, but to do the two as separate sweeties. Do the pistachio brittle and... Uh, and some kind of a, a, a pear boiled sweetie, and you've got them both. And, and that, in, in that particular case, hypothetical case that we're talking about, that might have been the perfect solution. Yeah, there are, there are times when I've kind of done that. If the person's looking for a selection of things, then, then I've done that. Or um, the other option would have been that I would have made each, each kind of flavour and colour and things is made separately anyway. If it was boiled sweets, I would have said, right, what we'll do then is the green ones will be pea, it'll be um, pistachio and the white ones will be pear, but they will be separate flavours that people can eat separately. And then if they so wish, they can put one of each into their mouth at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, that, that would have been the other way around it. And I have kind of done that before. I've done a mixture. You know, I will do like the rhubarb and custard is two flavours that are joined together, but if you actually split that sweet, the yellow side is vanilla flavoured with vanilla seeds in it and it's sweet, but the pink side is tart with only rhubarb flavour in it. Oh, now I have to go and split some of my rhubarb and custard sweets. (laughs) Each colour is flavoured accordingly. So depending on the situation, I would just do them individual separately. I have done that as well. Now you're you're doing this business out of your home, um, out of your mom's home, and your mom actually works with you, right? She does. She gets into the kitchen and does a little bit of sweeties on her own, right? I, I I've recently roped her in. A couple of months ago, I um, burnt myself. You would think I would know now better by now, but I gave my I gave myself second degree burns. Um, yes, I stuck my hand in a pot of toffee. I'll, oh. I'll never learn. Um, and I had um, lollipops to make prior. To, uh, I, I burnt my hand a day before before a market, and I had lollipops to make for the market. And I kind of said to mum, "You're going to have to make them." And she went, oh, "I can't because it was pulled sugar. It wasn't just. It wasn't something easy. Pulled sugar is um, something that is very, very rarely done. Like I say, I'm the only person in Scotland that does it, and it's it's very much about technique." And, um, but I said, no, you can do it. You've been in the kitchen and you've watched me often enough and I'll stand over your shoulder and I'll keep you right because I physically can't do it. You can't pull sugar with one hand. So she made she made these lollipops for me and she really enjoyed it and it was really good fun. And she said, well, I'll make lollipops for you. You know, there are times where I maybe have five kilos worth of treacle toffee and every single piece of toffee needs to be individually hand-wrapped with a square of cellophane, there are times when, yes, she will help me. She, she's much faster at wrapping the sweets than I am. So I'll chop them and she'll wrap them for me. And she she's a very good salesperson. She comes to the markets with me. And she now actually has her own separate brand <laughs> for her lollipops. Her lollipops are sold as Mammy Sweeties lollipops. <laughs> um, and she's even got her own Mammy Sweetie um, uniform now as well. And she, yeah. she does the lollies, which 
it, it's well, she does them, but I'm still very much over her shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and my point of, in talking about all of this is to make the point that you are a a small entrepreneurial business working out of your kitchen at home. Do you have any dreams of growing and expanding and someday having a factory and employing a hundred people making sweeties and being a really big time international company? Or are you always going to be a work out of the kitchen at home? Is that where you want to stay, where you want to, where you want to target your business in that very niche entrepreneurial type of uh, home-based business? I certainly never want a factory and hundreds of staff. Ideally, I suppose I would like Somebody to do the admin for me. Somebody to do the packaging for me. Maybe a tiny little kitchen somewhere where I've got space because at the moment, for example, my oven is only ever used for storing things while they're cooling. I can't remember the last time that my mum was actually able to use her oven to cook a meal. Um, and, the, you know, my card boot is always full of stock. There is stock in every... There's stock or equipment or stuff in every cupboard you know you literally open a cupboard and something sweet related falls out and hits you on the head um ideally i would like maybe a wee bit more space but certainly not um no i I don't want anybody else making the products because for me the fun and the whole point in the business is me making the products if I had somebody that was making the labels for me, because at the moment I print every label and stick it onto every bag and seal every bag myself and everything as well. I've had somebody doing all the admin and somebody else doing my kind of packaging and that left me free to spend all my time making the products. I would be over the moon, but I certainly would never like to be any bigger than that. If you're looking at factories, then you're looking at, well, the product's not handmade anymore. You know, I could employ people to help me make the products. It has been suggested that I do. But if I've got people helping me make the products, then those people know what my recipes are and they know what my secrets are. And then what happens if they go and sell the stuff? What happens if they go and set up and say, well, I'm going to make boiled sweets because Donna's taught me how. And that, no, for me, for me, the fun of it is, is, is in the, it's in the making and it's taking it to customers and seeing the look on customers' faces when they try it. And to go much, to go any bigger, really, I would lose that. But it would be nice to to have a wee bit of help where, because I really only probably spend about 50% of my time cooking. The other 50% is packaging and going out delivering because I offer free delivery within the town or it's trips to the post office. And there's an awful lot of time spent on admin and social media and all that kind of stuff as well. But no, I certainly never, ever, ever want to be huge. My thanks to Donna Bradley for sharing with us an insider view of her business, We Sweetie Confectionery Creations. Without going into detail, I can personally vouch for the quality of those creations. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, under the tartansky.scot, where you'll find links for getting in touch with Donna if we've now properly stimulated your own sweet tooth. And if you've enjoyed this and hopefully previous episodes of the podcast, I hope you'll tell your friends about it, and I'd be most grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review the show on iTunes. Your reviews help the podcast gain greater exposure on iTunes, which in turn helps us to find an even larger audience of people like us, those who have a deep appreciation for all things Scottish, from bagpipes to whiskey.
Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Topolev, Agus Alipa Gabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glennlmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.